Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. And this is a quote by Hunter S. Thompson. And as I talk to my guest today, I think you'll understand why I picked that one. So before I get started and introduce you to Mead Norton, as you probably know, I'm a business coach for photographers. What I love about it is watching people go from a dream and a passion to a career. When my clients share their successes, both big and small, I experience a kind of joy as it's happening to me. Having built my own business and sustained it for over 38 years, it's now super fun to watch others as their success unfolds step by step. So if the idea of having somebody 100% in your corner with a lot of experience, knowledge, and intuition on how to grow your business particularly, I would love to connect. Just go to lucydumascoaching.com and send me a message and we'll talk. So in my next life, I want to be today's guest, (laughs) and I can't wait to hear what it's like to be him. Mead Norton is an award-winning visual storyteller. He loves helping his clients bring their stories to life. He, in a nutshell, is an adventure travel photographer or sports adventure travel badass photographer. He'll He'll fill me in on all that. (laughs) He's also a mentor and a coach. Now, he was born in the U.S. and is based in New Zealand. I'm not sure if he's going to have a New Zealand accent or a Texas accent, but we'll find out. (laughs) His photography reveals the love of the medium with a unique flair and a passion for authenticity in a visual narrative. He has quite an impressive resume, one being the 2010 Sunset Surf Pro competition in Hawaii, and there's oodles more, so I'll just let him share. And so, Mead, thank you, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Texas or New Zealand? Uh, Depends on who I talk to. (laughs) <laughs> so do you mostly say howdy or do you mostly say how do you say hello in in New Zealand in New Zealand it's Kiora Kiora so do you sometimes say howdy or are you in the Kiora more more Kiora and probably even more kind of sports lingo what's up <laughs> what's up yeah what's up in Hawaii it's how's it <laughs> so I love Hawaii. All right. So I would like to learn how you became an adventure sports photographer, a little bit about that. Well, it's kind of following basically my two passions in life was playing sports and being an athlete myself 
and growing up that's what I wanted to be was a professional athlete started off playing soccer and then got into biking and surfing and that kind of thing and snowboarding but realized I didn't have the physical capability to get there so I turned and looked at how can I still stay in that world and connect with that world and decided to do it with through my camera and my lens so we were talking before we recorded that most people's story starts with i got a camera for christmas or <laughs> something like that so tell me about your first camera well my very first camera was an old kodak disc camera <laughs> at 80s and used that when i was going to summer camp in colorado and documenting the landscapes and the mountains and scenery that we did and then from there i was fortunate enough that my mom was actually a part-time professional photographer doing school portraits and like sports teams photos so you had that advantage of having your mom in photography part-time so did it sort of the light bulb just go off one day that you were like oh i could photograph i love photographing outdoors for fun i like sports how about if i photograph sports was it was there an aha moment on that sort of i mean growing up so i basically i was getting her hand-me-down cameras in high school to photograph for the yearbook and things like that and at that time it wasn't sports that i wanted to photograph it was dreaming of being a national geographic photographer um because i also loved writing so i always imagined myself being a um, photojournalist writing stories and traveling the world mm -hmm. and then it was after so at university i studied creative writing to help me go down that path. So I figured I wanted to learn how to craft the stories and be a better writer. And then the camera image making would come through doing. So when you then talk about being a visual storyteller, which is a different identity than I'm a photographer, tell me more what you, what you mean by that. I think what you just shared, I picked up a little of the concept can you explain a visual storyteller yeah so i mean it started off with that basically approaching becoming when i realized well with digital the bottoms kind of dropped out of being a photojournalist in terms of making money and making a living at it and so to help continue to pay the bills i turned to doing more commercial work but still applied that photojournalist every image tells a story and you know there's a point to it it's not mm -hmm. just taking a pretty picture or you know i try to put a personality or capture the essence of whatever it is i'm photographing and more recently i've transitioned from 
focusing on just stills to doing video as well and applying that same, the storytelling techniques that I learned as a writer to the video side of things. So that combination, what I hear is you love telling stories yeah. and the, the writing kind of informed you about how photographing both stills and now also video that you can tell those stories even if there's no words involved. I can imagine that was kind of an epiphany or was it something that sort of you grew into and then went, aha, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, it was probably more, not such an epiphany, but an analysis of what sets me apart from all the other sports photographers out there. Mm -hmm. And so two of the things is one is the fact that I am an athlete myself. And so when I'm talking with people, I'm basically with my commercial work, I'm their target audience, which isn't very common for them to be working with a photographer who is also their consumer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's almost in my DNA to know and understand as a consumer what it is that I want to see in a magazine or in an advert for a bike brand or a trail running shoe brand or whatever it is I'm shooting within the outdoor industry. And so I have that in-depth knowledge and focus to uh, create the images that are speak to their target audience. Mm -hmm. I really love that you said that about exploring who you are and really going in depth and having that clarity of what it is that you offer. When I'm working with clients, we do a deep dive into who they are as people, not just, you know, what's the brand I want to create to attract my adult client, but what is it about me that I can particularly market that will attract people to me and only me? Because what I'm imagining is that you have accounts where because of who you are, your unique perspective as an athlete, that that eliminates a lot of competition because there's only one. Would you say that you've had that experience? Yeah, well, definitely. And also the nature of shooting outdoor stuff, you have to love it because generally speaking, you're not shooting in a in a nice pristine studio, you're out slogging through the woods in pouring rain or getting up at the crack of dawn in the middle of a snowstorm. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> my one time that I set an alarm and got up for sunrise because I was camping by a beautiful lake mm -hmm. probably indicates that this is not the career path for me. <laughs> But you might not like uh, wrangling babies and hearing the crying and cleaning up the, the pee and, you know, all of that stuff. And and to me, you know, that's all just fine. So, so in other words, when you know who you are, then you can put yourself in situations where you're a natural rather than trying to squeeze yourself into a career. Like I would have loved to have traveled and been a National Geographic type photographer as well. 
but I don't think I have the stamina and clearly you do. And that <laughs> that's why I want to be you when I grow up <laughs> or, or next round, next lifetime, if there's such a thing. So Mead, you shared a particular interest with me in a longer bio that you love creating a narrative that explores the feeling of an experience with the perspective of someone that is in the experience rather than a remote observer. And you said, we are always there. Tell me more about what you mean about we're always there. Yeah, so basically for a while before, before I settled on visual storyteller, I was marketing myself as, and talking about on the brink. Um, I love shooting on the brink and that's shooting people performing on the brink of their ability. I want the viewer to be on the brink of their seat, looking at my images. And I love shooting on the brink of the action. And so it's capturing, especially with the outdoor industry, a lot of times on social media now and Instagram, you always see these photos of someone looking out at an expansive view from the uh -huh. back. You see the back of their head and they're sitting there in this expansive view or doing this amazing thing. And it drives me nuts. <laughs> that's, that's being a remote observer. That's being someone following in people's footsteps. And for me, the whole thing about being outdoors and being out in the wild is not to follow in other people's footsteps, but to go and explore new places and find new things for yourself. And so when I'm shooting, I'm always trying to shoot more in front, looking back and showing the person's face. So you see their expression, you see their, the emotion that they're feeling when they're in that moment doing it, what it is that they do. Mm -hmm. And so that's, for me, that's what I mean by trying to capture the experience and putting us there in the moment. And how do you put yourself in the moment? So it's, well, one, it's by being an athlete myself. So most of what I shoot, I have to get into those locations the same way the athletes do, either be it on a mountain bike, skis, snowboards, climbing ropes, whatever it might be, and get in front of them and lead the way almost, mm -hmm. and then have them come follow me and be as close to the trail as possible when they're coming past to get the shots that I want to get. Yeah, we, we always see amazing videos and photos and that are like, oh my gosh, look at that athlete doing that thing. And then every now and then I think, holy cow, the photographer actually was doing the bigger thing by filming that thing. <laughs> so yeah. I get it. And I imagine that is then super fun because you love doing those things anyway. So to go out and actually do them and then film them and then get paid for that. Is, is that a pretty good life? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is you know, I, I kind of joke with my accountant loves it. They submit my end of the year accounts and it's like, Business expenses for me include 
a mountain bike every couple of years and physio appointments and gym memberships because I have to train and be as fit or almost as fit as the athletes. So yeah. to be able to keep up with them and go out and to the places I go out to. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So what do you think the weirdest thing is that you've expensed out? Yeah, probably the biggest eyebrow raise was the mountain bike. Uh-huh. But I was like, well, 90% of my business that year came from shooting in the, in the forest here in, in Rotorua. And to get around the forest, there are a few roads, but not many. So most of it was getting around on bikes. Even when I was shooting like trail running, I'd still ride in on my bike to get there faster and be able to carry more gear easier. So do you put your stuff on the bike and a backpack, all the above? I can't imagine. Uh, it's usually it's in a backpack. So yeah. Yeah. Um, real stripped down kit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd need a Sherpa and maybe somebody, you know, to not really carry me, but <laughs> some easy way to get through the forest and somebody carrying all the stuff. So yeah. yeah, I can dream about it. And what I love about now being a podcaster is I get to learn about different worlds in this industry from people like you that I wouldn't ordinarily, unless we met on a plane or yeah, maybe a bar at a convention or something. So thanks for painting such a cool picture of this life. So how do you actually make a living out of it in terms of finding clients or, you know, is there like three tips that you could give somebody? It's networking and having a network of people and acquaintances in whatever it is that you do. So for me, most of it is mountain biking and trail running is sort of my two main things that I'm doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And live in one of the mountain biking meccas of the world here in Rotorua. Mm-hmm. And that's not by accident. And that's allowed me to develop a lot of connections within the mountain biking industry, both here in New Zealand, as well as international riders and brand managers who come here for events and press trips and training sessions so number one you're in a location where there's potential both to find people looking for what you do and also people that travel in to create these stories is that that right yeah and being involved in the whole community so that i i hear through the grapevine of so-and-so's coming coming into town to train or coming over for an event. And then I reach out to them and the brands that sponsor them and say, Hey, I hear so-and-so is coming to town, keen to catch up and do a shoot even on spec or, Hey, do you need any stuff for a, for a sponsor? Like I just shot Caroline Buchanan, who's a BMX racer from California who came over to Rotorua last weekend for the a BMX meet and I did a social media video for her while she was here. 
So you're prepared, you know your stuff, and you're actively paying attention to what's going on, building relationships, looking for those opportunities, offering your services, stuff like that. Is that a good summary? Yeah, and being visible is the other thing. So networking, being visible and proactive. So not waiting for people to reach out to me, but reaching out to them Mm -hmm. and letting them know that, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this. I know you're coming, keen to do something. How do you think people who would be afraid of just reaching out like that, any suggestions on how to deal with that awkwardness or that concern? Just remember that you're offering a service. You're not asking for a favor from them usually. And especially in this world, the athletes and the brands, they need to be seen as being visible and active just as much as you are. Mm. And so the worst they can do is say, no, they're not going to be offended. They're not going to be upset with you reaching out. And, you know, they might have some downtime. They might have, they might have a fully packed schedule and you just say, all right, yeah, cool. Thanks. You know, but then they might have some downtime and be like, yeah, let's go do something. And then you never know where it leads. I have a coaching client that is a commercial photographer and he's been doing things like, I'm not sure how he got this connection, but he got connected to a boxer and he loves athletics and sports just like you. And so he did um, a story on him and is showing that out in the public. And, you know, one thing leads to the other because he did something not for financial gain, He also, um, what's it called? There's this out in the salt flats or something. There's, you can tell how much of a sportsy girl I am. (laughs) He went out, oh, Bonneville flats. Yeah, the the speed flats. Yeah. And so it sounds like you and he would probably really love conversating, (laughs) having a chat because he gets out there and he does something every day you know, whether it's paid or not paid. His name's Attila Adam. If you want to listen to our interview, I think you would enjoy that episode. And anybody else who is really excited about needs Attila is, you know, that would be a fun listen as well. So one of the favorite books, and I've been talking about it now for a month or two, is The War of Art. And have you read that? Yes, I actually have it sitting on my bookshelf. Yeah. So the core of it is about conquering resistance. And the heart of how to do that is keep doing the work, keep showing up. And what I'm hearing from you and that I really respect and admire is that you're all in. Oh, I know. I was going to also say he defines the difference between a professional and hobbyist. And it's that you show up every day as if this is your job and you do the work. Would you agree with all that? Yeah. Not only is it showing up every day, but it's also knowing no matter what happens on the day that you come away with an image Mm. or the image that you need Mm -hmm. or your client needs. And that's 
that's the key to it. And that's the biggest difference between a, a hobbyist and a professional is a hobbyist, if things go pear-shaped, they pack up and they go home. Um, a professional, when things go pear-shaped, they figure out and problem solve and come up with a solution there and then to still get that result. Right, right. And what I'm also hearing from you is they look for other ways to, or, you know, paying attention to opportunities and creating opportunities and getting up every morning and, and making plans to figure out how to keep growing, how to keep reaching, how to keep progressing financially, creatively, business-wise. So you started a career in a foreign country and you maintained clients while moving. So how'd you do that? What are the tips you might have for that? Well, that was, so I'd done two shifts. One was when I, coming to New Zealand from America and basically starting over from scratch when I arrived and just applying the same the same principles of getting out there, being seen, being active, having a plan and having a goal in mind and keeping focused on that goal uh, throughout the whole process. And then about six years ago, I've moved towns in within New Zealand from Auckland to Rotorua. And during that move, I've managed to maintain a lot of my pre-existing clients up in Auckland while still growing and getting new clients here in Rotorua. And how did you do that? I've done that through by maintaining my connections with them and continually being seen by them, Um, either planning trips up to Auckland, which is fortunately it's only a three-hour drive away. So every every month or two months even, I'll plan out and reach out and book in a bunch of meetings and go up there for a day mm-hmm. and go and see them and have a meeting with them. And then when I'm out of town, I maintain contacts through sending emails, um, newsletters, and occasionally a promo piece out there and have that going as an, on an ongoing cycle so that I'm constantly being seen as being active and being present there. Mm. And by doing that and having it in, built it into my weekly or monthly schedule and doing it on like a three-month cycle, some of the clients don't even realize or they forget that I'm based in Rotorua and just assume I'm in Auckland because they think they see me so often or so regularly. A lot of times when you have clients within your own town, you almost get complacent and you forget about going and seeing them right uh, on a regular basis. It's like a long distance romance, you know, when people aren't together every day and they're going to have some time and they make it all really special. But then once they move in together, you know, they forget to kiss or bring flowers or <laughs> all that stuff. So you need to keep, keep wooing both the locals and the distance clients. Yeah. 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 
Okay, so here's what I'm getting made in listening to you chat. We think about an adventure photographer, and the first thing for me that comes to mind is, oh, you know, he's out there biking and surfing and skiing and and doing trail running and photographing those people and you know like the photography end and the adventure end and what i've heard from you is that you the profession of being a photographer who's paid for what they do is in most part the reason you're successful besides being really great at what you do is that you do the work of getting clients and keeping clients and doing great work that that it's everything it's not just if you build it they'll come so i appreciate you sharing you know sharing the side that a lot of people who want to create a really great business they're not focused on is is the business <laughs> part of a photography business so it's pretty impressive to hear everything that you do yeah you know i joke people think they look at my website or my portfolio and they're like, man, you must be out there all the time. And unfortunately, that's only probably 15, 20% of my time is spent out in the wild shooting that stuff. It's all the prep work and planning and networking on a daily basis in front of a computer beforehand and then afterwards the editing and delivering what i promised you know that's the bulk of my time is spent doing that and it's just icing on the cake and to be able to go out and do those do do those adventures and have those trips and amazing experiences but unfortunately it's not a daily occurrence for me yeah and I think that illustrates why if we pick a specialty that we enjoy doing, or not just if, but I recommend picking something that we love to do that we would do for free, partly because most photographers, unless you are hired by another company to do the photography, we spend way more time running the business. So at least our reward is that when we get to photograph, we get to be doing the subjects that we love. And, you know, it's kind of the icing on the cake. So, you know, if someone is doing headshots because they think there's money in it, but they don't get excited about doing it, you know, then, then all of our business life is spent doing in the service of the business. But we miss those joy moments, which, you know, for me can be, giggling babies or you know pretty sunsets where i have a couple you know on a romantic walk together and soaking up that beauty and what i hear from you is you know riding down a trail and bouncing on your bike or catching somebody you know just flying through the air or you know all of that that you love to do with or without a camera does that make sense to you yeah and i'd also say if you if you're out there doing something, shooting something because you think it's going to make you money, you're never going to stand out mm. from everyone else out there with a camera. And when I started my career, I started shooting on film and 
four by five cameras and medium format stuff. And then, yeah, the photography industry was very small in relation to everything else. But now with digital cameras, I mean, your cell phone now can take high res images almost just as good as a DSLR camera could if you know how to use it correctly. But that just means there's so much more competition out there to make money as a photographer for you. And so if you're just doing it to make money, you're never going to stand out above those other people. But if you're doing something that you're truly passionate about, that's where you're going to put in the extra time. You're going to put in the extra effort and it's going to show in the images that you create and make you stand out that much more from all the people that are out there with a camera. And I think it's also very motivating because if we love what we're photographing, then we're motivated to find people to pay us so that we get to do what we love to photograph. Whereas, you know, if I, if it was just like, eh, then, you know, I, like I always say, would I rather be doing this or just like sell shoes at, at Nordstrom? And when I quit weddings, it's because I no longer enjoyed them. I'll still do a few now if it's, the right people, the right situation, a whole bunch of money. <laughs> and, and then I enjoy it because it's, you know, smaller wedding and, and the people are, you know, connect with them. But I reached that point where I knew that I'd rather just get a J-O-B than pack up and go to weddings anymore. And, and I used to love them so much that if I saw a limo go by on a weekend and I wasn't doing a wedding that day, I felt sad because <laughs> I mean, I used to cry at cartoon weddings. So it was very motivating to get work because then I got to be at weddings. And that's how then when I saw that I was going to hit that burnout point, then I started building my children's business because that's what was fun for me at the time. And then at this point in my career, it's really fun to coach people and help them find their passions. And I don't know why I get, it's just as if it's happening to me, only I'm not the one out there <laughs> with the camera. So yeah, it's, it's good to do what we love. I think we agree with that. Yeah. Yes. So is there one other thing you would like to share or invite people or teach you know is there something in your heart or in your mind that you want to be sure you share with the listeners i mean i guess the whole thing for me is you know the key to my success is passion dedication and focus you know when i look back on my career those were the those are the three things that have kept me in the business kept me nimble, kept me hungry to change and be, um, adapt as the industry has changed. Mm -hmm. And if, if you don't have those three elements as a photographer, I would say if you haven't discovered those elements in your photography, look for them. If you've been doing it for a while and you don't have that, maybe you're not cut out to be a photographer. Right. Or maybe you haven't found what you're passionate about. 
yeah that was my first point is yeah you either haven't found what it is but if you've been at it for a while and you still don't have that you know and it's not a criticism no it's you know not everyone can do this right and if there are times when it's time to reinvent ourselves as well you know there may be a point where you know your joints hurt and you're tired of getting on planes or clearing out the mud and i'm sure you'll find an aspect uh that will thrill you in the future that maybe isn't that exciting now you know that that as we grow and change other things unfold and to me it's that constant unfolding and and kind of reinventing even day to day so it's always fresh and fun yeah yeah so i have a new feature where i'm asking my guests if they have a favorite book that inspires them or you know helps anyway a favorite book um with my writing background i'm i'm a voracious reader but ones i keep going back to well there's two that i keep going back to one is jack kerouac's on the road mm -hmm. and the other one is edward abbey's desert solitude so on the road was his memoir of being on the road yeah is desert solitude also like that it's similar. It's um, Edward Abbey was the first author to coin the term eco-terrorist. Mm. So he wrote, and he was based out of um, Utah and wrote about the Canyonlands there and maintaining and preserving the nature of the Canyonlands. Mm. So why are those both books that you would read over and over again? Well, On the Road is just, for me, I'm a born traveler. So for me to sit still for a long period of time without going on a trip somewhere is torture. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and unlike a lot of people, when I do travel, I never like going back to places I've been to. I always like going to new places. Mm -hmm. So that that really sort of read that when I was younger and that kind of probably influenced me and then shaped that attitude towards life. Mm -hmm. And the desert solitude, it was a bit of a similar thing. It's, you know, I feel very connected to nature and the natural world. And especially now with the state of the environment, being aware of, how we impact the environment and what it what we do is affecting everything it's rings even more true and more valuable today than it was when it was first written so it kind of reignites your passion for preserving the beauty yeah and i guess also even though I grew up playing team sports now most of my sports stuff is very individualistic and that's uh, this is about you know about him being alone in the desert and with his thoughts kind of thing and being contemplative yeah so kind of back in the day uh what was a motorcycle maintenance 
Yeah, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. So it's kind of in that genre where you could read it over and over again and kind of be back into the experience and wisdom and, you know, get something new out of it every time. Is that? Yeah. 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 It's very, it's, you know, both those books are very philosophical in their approach. So every time you read it, you either pick up something new or you, it shines a light on a different aspect of it. Yeah. I love the book. Illusions, Tales of the Reluctant Messiah by Richard Bach. Do you know that book? No, I haven't heard of that. He wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Okay, I've heard of that. So it's a fable about someone who meets a messiah, uh, which is just a pilot guy. Like a, It's a little fable, but there's all these wonderful quotes and things in it that I've been reading that book since I was in my 20s. And as I mature, I understand more and more and those quotes take different meanings because I'm looking at the world with different experience every time. So I love a good book that that's like that, where it's in the guise of a story or a memoir. And yet there's such richness and philosophy that we can read it over and over again and, and kind of visit it anew. <laughs> Did you like my Hunter S Thompson quote? Yes, I did. What book is that from of his? I think it's probably from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I was a big Hunter S. Thompson fan back in the day. <laughs> so so when I found that, I thought that would be perfect for me, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, a lot of the quotes I love that are inspirational, you know, your life, I can see you skidding broadside in a cloud of smoke used up worn out and proclaiming wow what a ride (laughs) yeah yeah and you're so far far away but maybe someday we'll get to meet in person i'm friends of mine have said that new zealand is the most beautiful place they've ever been and they travel a lot so has me uh thinking maybe i'll i'll use up some frequent flyer miles and and make the trip in the next few years. So if so, I'll, I'll look you up. (laughs) All right. So before we sign off, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to know more or see your work, hire you, any of those good things? Yeah. I'm across social media under Mead Norton photography, Instagram, Facebook. Don't really use Twitter all that much. Because here in New Zealand, Twitter is not actually a very popular platform. And then my website is meadnorton.com. Okay. And Mead, you shared that you also mentor and coach photographers and that you have a special offer. So what would that be? Yeah. So if any of your listeners are interested in either getting some one-on-one coaching or tutoring from me or even portfolio or website reviews. If you mentioned that you found out about it through this podcast, I'll offer a 15% discount on my services. That's awesome. So before I thank our guests, I want to remind you to stay tuned for my quick wrap up of our conversation and also 
want to thank you for subscribing, reviewing, and sharing The Profitable Photographer with other photographers who either are or want to be profitable. And so, me, this has been really fun for me and adventurous for me. <laughs> so, thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. Well, my pleasure. I'm back with the wrap up. <laughs> I found it a really rich conversation and pretty exciting to learn about area photography that doubtful I'll ever quite experience. I mean, I was a skier, so I've done some photographs from the snow, but nothing professionally. Some of the takeaways for me, number one was the importance of being in your comfort zone. So when you look at an adventure photographer, somebody that does sports or outdoors or even nature, hiking, you need to be somebody that is up for that. That uh, when he said you get muddy and it's cold and it's snowing or it's hot, and messy as an adventure sport photographer, that has to be something that, that you know, you're good to go with that, that also you might be in that environment anyway. Just like I mentioned, I have no problem being around crying babies with, you know, puke and <laughs> all the things that babies that happen with babies because they're my, they're my thing. And I, I love being around babies with or without my camera. He talked a lot about staying focused and having a plan and keeping your goals in mind. We also had a nice conversation about how any kind of photography might look really exciting, like, oh my gosh, he gets to go out and you know be on the trails or skiing, surfing and doing those things and making money at it. But most of his time, 80, 85% of his time is spent running his business. And what I heard from him is that he's very diligent in, you know, keeping work coming through the door, building his reputation, networking, staying in touch with people, all of those good things that in any profitable photography business is going to be key. And he finally talked about his three keys to success. To him, it's passion, dedication, and focus. And not just being able to focus your camera. <laughs> but I think, you know, we could probably do a whole book on just those three things. So maybe when he listens to this, maybe he's already writing a book. But if not, I'd, I'd love to read the book he'd write on passion, dedication, and focus. So thanks again for tuning in and for getting in touch if you'd like to share anything. I just would love even an email with comments from you about a particular guest or a topic you'd like me to cover, or if you know somebody that would make an awesome guest, please get in touch with me. You can also find me on Facebook, The Profitable Photographer, Dash Lucy Dumas. That's my page. So ta-ta for now. And uh, have a good one for you next week as well. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. 
Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.